everybody. Welcome to Twin Peaks Vlogcasting. I am one of your hosts, Colleen Carney Hefner, the editor-in-chief of Drunk Monkeys. Uh, with me is... I guess I'm the other host. Uh, I'm Chris <laughs> Pruitt, the managing editor of Drunk Monkeys. Matt Guerrero, uh, producer. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special guest today. Hi, I'm Meredith Porters. I'm the managing editor of Fangoria. And uh, we're really excited to have Meredith on because try to get her on for a while. So, um, so today we're going to be discussing Twin Peaks season two, episode three, The Man Behind the Glass. Um, if you haven't if you haven't listened to us before or you're new or whatever, we are very spoiler light. We just go scene by scene and talk about this only episode. Um, real quick before we jump into it, drunkmonkeys.us is our website. Um, follow us on all our socials. Cool. Uh, follow our personal socials if you want ranting. Um, and I don't know, that's about it. We and we're open if this if this airs in September. <laughs> <laughs> we are open for our sci-fi edition. However, if it airs after that, we are open for regular submissions. So feel free to send us some stuff. So all right. If it so it airs exactly on September 30th, then don't send us anything. <laughs> <laughs> Great area. All right. So um, this episode begins with Ed, and she is losing it. And um, let's see, what did I write? <laughs> I'm like, I wrote this um, we, So she's like losing it in the hospital, and the cops come in, and they, um, I'm sorry, Albert stops and he looks at the IV and he's like this looks like dye which like struck me as kind of dumb sounding at first but then I was like oh he's actually being serious <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, this is actually it's, it's always so weird when Albert says anything and actually means it at face value you're mm -hmm. like what are you getting at Albert <laughs> his sincerity is jarring <laughs> it is it truly is and there's gonna be more of that <laughs> um uh so obviously he believes that the IV is tainted and they have given her a sedative to calm her down, which is good because then um, Coop does the gross fingernail thing that no one enjoys watching uh, and they pull out the letter B and they do that thing that Chris and I talk about often where it's like a slow-mo scream. <laughs> like Renette's like, <laughs> every once in a while these episodes are tainted by this strange sort of like some weird editing choices that like happen on this series that don't happen in a lot of lynch's other work like uh, most of his stuff the editing feels very deliberate even when it's bizarre or choppy or weird like it's very on purpose but throughout i keep being like weirded out by all the just straight up bizarre choices that happen in some of these earlier episodes. With this. Well, and, and this one in particular, because it's the first episode after Lynch kind of departed. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. The first two episodes of the season are obviously, you know, Lynch and Frost. And so, I mean, I think they do a good job of kind of aping that style, but it's definitely like an all new creative team yeah. in a way that you, you feel it, you know? And yeah, that'll definitely. that'll go through some interesting like sine wave arcs over the next few episodes here. Some <laughs> interesting, some terrible, some yes. problematic, <laughs> and we'll get to that. Um, so that's kind of that scene. The the B obviously goes with the R and the O from before. So what's it spell? Rob. But let's, <laughs> let's make a whole plot point out of trying to figure it out. Um, and then 
I believe here is where we cut to Coop <laughs> talking to Harry and Albert. And he's like, oh, I was visited by this giant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wrote the line down again. It's time I told you something. I believe I was visited by a giant. <laughs> Just... <laughs> it's like it's time now. Right now is the time to tell yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Right. By a Always. giant. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I'm sorry, but I have to say no, I but... love Albert's response to that. He's like, is he related to the dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> but well... also something something very uh interesting happens right here that I that this person I talked about while watching, like we've been rewatching Skins, the the British show. And there's an episode where Cook, who like likes to fuck and like do a bunch of drugs, tries to run for like the class president. Mm-hmm. And this like super nerdy, like I take politics in school seriously. That kid is running too, and they obviously hate each other. But they encounter something so stupid that they share a moment where they both look at each other and they're like, and like, huh? And I love when these two like adversaries share a, a Shit, like, okay, we both hate each other, but like, that was kind of fucked up, right? <laughs> well, who and makes- Harry do this as if they like he's like visited by two giants and they stop for a moment, they're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I just really think it's funny. He provides so many opportunities for both Albert and Truman to be like straight men across from him, you know, like he's always saying all this ridiculous stuff that in these individual conversations that he has, like just Coop and Albert or Coop and Harry they're always bouncing off of it. But even together in the dynamic, he's still always the weirdest person in the room, which is why I love him. But it does create a nice little team between Albert and Harry. It does, but it it also draws into relief for me that like, it it often feels like the creators of the show decide based on what's going to be more entertaining in the moment, whether or not Truman in particular reacts with skepticism or whatever. Like Truman up to this point has gone on with so much bullshit. Like, Oh, I saw this in a dream. So it's happening. We're, we're hunting down this guy. I saw in a dream that literally nobody else has seen yet. Um, So like, it's really funny when it's like, okay, Coop, but a giant. (laughs) Really? And that's a good point on like a larger area because this is also the beginning of, and again, no spoilers, but like my, in my view, some inconsistencies in Harry's character. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is right when it starts to be like, this doesn't quite feel like the Sheriff Truman from season one, you know? Right. I definitely get that too. So uh, I just love those shared, like we don't particularly care for each other, but that was kind of a strange thing that just happened right here this moment. I think it's so funny. I was like, that was another part just like it. So uh, Skins is a good show, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so they talk about the giant for a while, and it's like he gave me clues, and two of them came, came true right away. And now, I'm like, what's the third one? I don't know. Let's figure it out. So they kind of go along with that, and that's uh, that's that. Um, let's see. I don't know if we have anything else to say about that particular moment. Just some, yeah. some light giant talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just really kind of a reiterating. It's like, in case you missed the last week's episode. Yeah. While, while a young woman seizes before them, they just yeah. have some mild, giant discussion. <laughs> just a quick aside from Renette's like, <laughs> hospital-bound fit. It, 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 it also, 
it, it brings back up one of those stranger meta points in the series where it's like when anything happens with Ronette's medical condition, it seems like somebody gets on the phone and it's like, Cooper, Harry, you got to come here right now. She's still not like actually responsive, but come here, be in the room while this is happening. She sneezed three times. What does it mean? Yeah. That actress has, I think, truly the most thankless job on this entire series. Yeah. Oh, it's for, just saying he, something. Well, yeah. I don't know. There's some pretty thankless roles in this series. <laughs> oh God! Speaking of thankless roles, let's go to Harold's house. Uh. <laughs> uh, so Donna meets up with Harold, who obviously contacted her in the last episode um, <laughs> during the <laughs> pivotal "Just You and I" sequence. Oh God! <laughs> Harold oh. is. I'm sorry, but can I just make it aside to that? Yes, absolutely. So- so funny to me that that song is just playing instrumentally on a loop throughout this episode. Yeah, like, yeah. Are we pretending like this song is <laughs> on par with the rest of Battle Mandy's score and now it's just part of the score? I don't want that. I don't want well, that at all. Especially when, if you believe the like onset anecdote of that piece having been written on the spot for the scene. Like, oh, I believe it. I, <laughs> I mean, I believe it too, but it's also it's such a weird choice that they're like, okay, this thing we bullshitted at the last possible second is now an integral piece of the- We're like, committing. We are yeah. absolutely committing to that. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing it. Um, Harold is like the most eccentric person in the universe, which kind of rules. He's like, come on in. Do you want some lemonade? Fair. I have saltines. Kind of weird. Maybe some apple butter? <laughs> you have like the lemonade's fine um he's so eccentric and they sit on the world's most uncomfortable couch like it is like it is like 30 rock plot point where they make that a terrible couch and they're like it hurts <laughs> like donna's knees are up like near her chin and it kills me because i know well all of you have been on our couch which is like <laughs> me the worst and it got to the point where I was like, you need to buy new cushions. So we actually have new cushions for this couch. <gasps> Congratulations. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy that I'm sitting on it. I'm not even that uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but here, I noticed, Chris, that they have departed from calling it The Meals on Wheels. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't know I was making a big deal about that in the la- prior episode. Every time they referred to it, they would make a point of saying, like, capital The Meals on Wheels. Yeah, they probably like, lose the definite article like here. Yeah. <laughs> the Walmart. Yeah, that's that's departing from the Lynch's like <laughs> signature touch of saying things in the weirdest possible way that you can exactly. imagine. <laughs> They're like, Lynch is gone. It's it's just meals on wheels. It's just meals on wheels, right? <laughs> like, like, like the other people in the writers' rooms are like, "Am I losing my mind?" It's the it's just meals on wheels, right? There's no. <laughs> now the boss is gone. Um, so, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, there's lots of choice dialogue points while you're talking about that. Like he t- he talks about or Harold talking about Laura says. I was her best customer. How do you have a best customer in the Meals on Wheels? <laughs> I also don't think customer is actually like the word Meals on Wheels uses, probably. Certainly not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. maybe. Yeah. They're not really patients, but like, yeah, customers. Not- um, I have to say I am not a fan of Harold. He drives me bananas. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just lose so much interest the second he's on screen in any episode. I think he's creepy i think he's, he's your awesome. mill plot point because <laughs> totally comes up i'm like yeah I can, tv text pattern you know what? I'll, I'll pay attention to the mill i'll you know whatever like 
Josie, any of it. But Harold is where I really just start to check out. <laughs> something I abide him. Something I enjoy about Harold though is that his sort of his whole deal where he's like an agoraphobe or however they decide to sort of uh frame that. And I, I don't think they ever get particularly specific about yeah, it. He but, doesn't like outside. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't like outside. So um he says like oh just the way he says things and his strange bearing and so forth, it really kind of puts the normal strangeness of Twin Peaks dialogue and scene framing and stuff like, oh, it kind of makes sense here. <laughs> this guy maybe doesn't have a particularly functioning social part of his Another personality. Another like nice comparison that Harold makes is that he actually makes me feel like James might be a winner. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Don I'm, is choosing I, the wrong dude here. <laughs> these are the men that Don is choosing between. I'm like Team James, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's there's more James to come even in this episode alone. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's pretty um, bleak. Yeah, poor Donna, really. <laughs> so, I know. Um, so one thing that struck me about this this scene is he gives Donna a lady slipper orchid. Um, and I don't know if you guys know about lady slippers, but they're super hard to cultivate. Like they're not really something like, this is definitely like a, a specific choice because they're not just like, oh, I got this at Bonds, <laughs> like, or whatever. <laughs> like um, they're insanely hard to cultivate and you can't really propagate them either. Like you can go into the woods and find them maybe, but if you dig them up, it's like really, really hard to transplant them into a working flower in your own like. Living. I guess maybe all you have to do is have your house be like 85 degrees, which is not a choice that I would make if I were in a grove, but no. that's, that's the way that Harold went. <laughs> but also they like are super rare and they like, bloom they take like five years to bloom too and like I, I mean there are woods near my parents house that I used to hang out at all the time and I've only ever seen them growing there once and it was like just a few years ago and I've been hanging out in those woods since I was like 14 and I was like holy shit lady slippers but I just thought it was an interesting choice because they're not like your run of the mill like orchids are hard to, to really like get going anyway but like and obviously he takes a lot of he has like like James Spader and secretary levels of like orchid <laughs> like functioning in his apartment. But, um, but, but I he, he gives it to Donna to, to put on Laura's grave too. And everything you just said about a lady slipper feels like very appropriate for Laura Palmer. It's like high maintenance, beautiful, but elusive. You know? yeah, yeah. And also you're in the Northwest. So it's definitely going to die in like two days. <laughs> yeah. You need to keep it in your hot ass apartment here. <laughs> right. So I just thought that was an interesting choice. That's like my nerdy like plant talk for the episode. Plant Yay. So while he's in the back uh, acquiring the uh, um, lady slipper from his built-in greenhouse in his like apartment <laughs> or whatever we're supposed to believe that is, um, he uh, Donna is still sitting on the very uncomfortable couch and looks over and sees something peeking out of his bookshelf 
And I wrote here in my notes, I too like to hide mysterious documents with a tantalizing edge peeking. <laughs> I know. It's like it, they've done a bad job of making it look believable because like everything else on the bookshelf is like well set in there and stuff. And it's just this super obvious piece of paper just like sticking so out. So much so that like you might think it's it's deliberate, but then you it's find deliberate. out. Deliberate, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely not actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of unbelievable too. He's like, he's like a meticulous, like almost like obsessive person, and then he's just like, oh, <laughs> oh this thing that's really important. Oh, papers. <laughs> oh, she doesn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I threw Peppa. Sorry. <laughs> um. Anywho, so we move on from that uncomfortable, strange scene. Uh, Harold does have this weird way of like having his eyes kind of agog to the point where it's like, are you going to hurt me? No, I, I just find him offsetting. Like, yeah, like there's that, something I'm very, like, like I wouldn't I, hang out with him either. I would bail if I, if I were Donna personally, but I would also bail on James. <laughs> he reminds me of someone and I will tell you who when we were finished recording. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Anywho. Um, so yeah, then uh, we move on from there to, I wrote, now, I did these notes last week and I did rewatch it yesterday, but I'm still a little hazy on it. Um, I wrote, Coop in his dream crime solving. He has this chalkboard and a series of circles and okay, like arrows yes. pointing at each other. And it's got like him, it's got uh, Bob, it's got, I forget who all's names are in the circles. Um, uh, I'm looking yeah. at it right now. It's uh, Miss Palmer, Cooper, Ronette, and Maddie. There it is. Yeah. And he says, and I think, I think this yeah. is a quote I wrote down. This path is a psychic link that will lead us right to him. <laughs> okay, Cooper. He <laughs> said that last season. Yeah. <laughs> also, how are you going to, like, wh what does that mean? What path? You're going to, like, walk from this person to this person? <laughs> um. And here is where they, they have this kind of chat about how, like, the bee that they found underneath Renette's fingernail is from our, our favorite flesh world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how does he, this specific letter was cut out of flesh world. Like, I know. what? Come on, man. <laughs> I thought about that, actually, because Albert just says it so sort of offhandedly. Yeah, yeah, and he has the issue. He He's just goes flop. <laughs> so what I think it is, is that so much has now been connected to flesh world that Albert just went straight to flesh world. He's like, it's probably flesh world, right? And then he just confirmed his suspicion immediately. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely not Twin Peaks Daily. <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> does does um, Flesh World have like a proprietary font or something though? I mean, come on. I can believe it. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, I would too, actually. It seems like a very like advanced periodical for an <laughs> undercover smut <laughs> that also advertises trucking and thing about standard poodle enthusiasts. We're all in the current world. We can respect this. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. A lot of stuff was pushed underground in the early 90s, okay? <laughs> you, had to, you had to know where to look. Yeah, it's hard to find. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, this is thing about uh, swingers clubs and standard poodle enthusiasts, and I swear I watched it like three times. And I'm like, I still not 100% grasping what he's talking about here, and maybe my brain is trying to protect me from it. Like, <laughs> just let's just quickly move on from there. Um, but this this whole thing here leads to a very pivotal and amazing sequence. Yes. Uh, this is my favorite scene in all of season two and one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. I love I, it. I would agree so with much. that easily. 
Um, I would, I'll let you guys take it. I'm not going to do it justice. <laughs> I actually, it's so funny because right in the final days of Birth Movies, that's a website that I used to write for. Um, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> one of the very last uh, pieces that I wrote was actually about this scene. So when I didn't realize when Colleen asked me to do this episode that that was going to be the one that I was doing. I was like, oh, this works out great. <laughs> um, but, you know, Albert's being his sort of usual kind of sour self and he says, you know, he kind of bullies Harry like he always does. And Harry, he says something about knuckles, like don't drag your knuckles, you know, a sort of like caveman reference. And Harry's like, let's talk about knuckles, buddy. Like, I'll, I'll punch you again. I, I won't even feel bad about it this time. And Albert just grabs him by the shoulders in a way that seems aggressive at first, but- as It's like, it, very like, you listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, like, it slowly sort of morphs into something sort of like brotherly. But he's like, I'll take as many punches as I have to because I walk in the way of Gandhi and King. And as he starts going, you're like, wait, Albert's a pacifist? <laughs> and yes, Albert is a fucking pacifist. I love it so much. And then he's like, the, you know, the, uh, what the like grounding truth of this journey is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. <laughs> and then he just puts on his sunglasses and saunters out. It is a miracle. It is phenomenal. <laughs> I love it so much. It is such a beautiful, surprising, weird, hilarious scene that adds so much nuance to this character that we already really, really love for sort of superficial reasons. But after that, I became like an Albert Lifer. Yeah. yeah. I was the guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I don't and love Coop, it's a fucking drug. <laughs> this is what I was thinking when he said that. Coop has a pretty great line too, because when Albert stalks off and Truman's kind of looking after him, sort of like, like he just got <laughs> ran over by an invisible truck, like what the fuck? And Coop says something along the lines of like, I can't remember the verbiage, but it, it's something about yeah, how Albert walks a hard path. <laughs> Matt's following along. So yeah. He, Sorry, sorry, give me just a second. I just saw it. I just saw it. Here, I'll just. Well, while Matt's looking it up, I'll say another line from this piece that I just remembered that I love where Albert says, My concerns are global. (laughs) 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 I just want to use in every argument. I just want to be like, I don't have time for this. My concerns concerns are global. global. (laughs) I I like at the beginning of it, he says, While I'll admit to a certain cynicism. It's like, Dude, your whole deal is that you're an asshole. (laughs) 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 Okay, I got the line. I got the line. Albert's Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. So yeah, dumb. that's it. So <laughs> that's just like that says it all, right? <laughs> but also, can you imagine being like, I've had it with this asshole. I'm gonna kick the shit out of him, and then he's just like, No, I love you, and walks away. Yeah. And like, that's a power move. That's I, a power was, move. I was just about to say that, Chris. Yeah. That's such a power move because anything else he could have done. Sheriff Truman was ready for Sheriff Truman. You know, is obviously like stronger and a better fighter. But the one thing he was not prepared for was for him to tell him that he loved him. And he was just like left jaw agape. It is such a good way to end an argument. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be so mad though. I'd be like, I wanted to hit him. <laughs> now I look like the asshole. Right? Now I look aggressive. I wonder how many people like out in the world this would be effective on. You know? as, like a, <laughs> as like a response when you're I dealing know. with somebody. <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. We should try next time I get an internet fight. I'm gonna be like, my totally. global. <laughs> Listen, Red Stater, my concerns are global. Uh, all right, so okay, then we have what? Uh, oh, <laughs> I wrote down we cut over, and uh, I think Coop is having like a heart to heart with James. He's like, all right, like, yeah, yeah, okay, we know. Oh, because because of course it's revealed that that cocaine is definitely not James's, so like, obviously up 
James has a James has a good response here. I don't know if that was what you were about to talk about, no, but no, he but... goes, he goes because he's like, we know that the cocaine was planted in your motorcycle. And James goes, I was trying to tell you guys it was planted. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no shit. You were trying to tell us that it was planted. Like, Mom, I told you I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Coop says, James, I don't want to see you down here again. And I wrote down, quite frankly, I don't want to see him ever again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think everybody feels that way at this point in the series. I know you really feel for Coop. He's like, I don't have time. For James, this. I don't want to like, see you here again. That's not me saying I don't want you getting in trouble. That's me saying I literally do not want to talk Please to you go again. away forever. And it's just, oh my God. Uh, James. Yeah, it's like Coop's like, look, I have like psychic crimes to solve. I don't need this like weird yeah. county coke issues. <laughs> like, like, My concerns no. are global. I do not have time for you, James. Hurt. <laughs> my concerns are global. It's just, that's just my. Don't, you know, I can't be chasing life. after you kids and your Scooby Doo investigation <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> like, right. Leave Dr. Jacoby alone. <laughs> Just, anyway, uh, but then, oh, okay, so we've been waiting <laughs> so long for men's fashion to yeah. <laughs> the arena, and it does. With okay, but, but before aspects. before we get there, though, um, Lucy is trying to find uh, words that contain <laughs> R-O-B in them and, uh, and is writing things out and talking to herself. And, 78. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so Hawk walks up and he says, let me see. I used to be pretty good at this. First of all, what? Pretty good at what? Like thinking of words? And like, boggle. Second, second of all, but, but, but I have a second, like almost opposite reaction to that line, which is it's a great callback to this idea that Hawk is surprisingly good with words when he described in an earlier episode that he was writing poetry for his PhD girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> we never heard about again. There's never He's enough. Like, never heard about again until he sees Lucy just trying to think of words and he goes, I used to be pretty good at I that. Used to, I actually paused it when I rewatched it last night. I paused it and turned to Fritz. I'm like, this line murders me. Like, I used to be good. How many times have people been like, can you think of words with these three letters? Like, like oh yeah, I did that all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm good at this. Back in the I, day. I like those categories on Jeopardy where they have three letters and <laughs> like quote marks, and you know they're in the answer. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> men's fashion. Yeah. Because the the amazing picture main is on the scene, <laughs> and he Lucy's side piece basically, <laughs> and he does this amazing thing where he all this is happening, and he's in the back. Looking at himself in the in the window or whatever, fixing his eyebrow, and then he turns and he just gives like, like the smile. His little cheek sparkle, yeah. Serves some incredible face after yeah. doing that. And I, I said too last, I was like, would you believe that this man is a soap opera star and has won Emmys because because he just screams soap opera face you, to me. I, you know, I was going to ask that because I'm not yes. familiar with what else that actor has done, but like that, every, that vibe totally fits. <laughs> literally every single, like Bold and the Beautiful, Guiding Light, like every single one. Everyone. Of them on <laughs> I think Bold and the Beautiful was his like real wheelhouse though, but um, oh, Dick Tremaine with his like the jaunty music playing. I was gonna mention that because uh, talking about the, you know, just you and I coming in to like shit up the score a little bit in this episode. <laughs> Dick's 
theme song also sucks. Like compared to the rest <laughs> of the music, it's like almost unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> the, the theme song I have for Dick is that I keep thinking that he sounds exactly like the subject of Carly Simon's "You're So Vain." It's well, like, yeah. <laughs> the parties got his like ask or his cravat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. He has seven layers on, and they are all like a plaid print of the story. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. there's so many conflicting plans happening. It's a power clash, uh, Colleen, and yes. it's incredible. I mean, I, I just it does, the implication it actually... that his whole personality is based around being the fashion guy, and also he sucks at fashion. <laughs> like, <laughs> that I'm very into. <laughs> I would actually wear that entire outfit. I mean, it would be for Halloween when I go as Dick Tremaine. Yeah, yeah, Halloween, yeah, exactly. I feel like I would rock it. Well, yes, I think he would. And so does he, to be honest. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> it, it he does. Him. He absolutely. Your Halloween costumes are fairly epic, so yes, I Thank do you. think he does <laughs> that very well. Um, it's just so funny to me. And the thing is, he's not even like like a New York men's fat. Like he works at Horns in the men's. Yeah, yeah. he works at the department store, and that is his like claim to being the most fashionable man in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh, Which, God. you know, again, probably correct, given mm -hmm. the sample size. But... <laughs> so true. Uh, so he and he's there to take Lucy out. Uh, obviously, Lucy Dutch. something to say. Um, what's really cool about this scene, though, is that he is super, like, man, like, like, you know, he's just up his own ass. And he talks like, I have another word. <laughs> like, here's another RBT word. <laughs> oh, hot. Like, Huck's utter disdain in this yeah, yeah. makes all of it for me. He's like, yeah. robot. And what's the other one he said that was so good? It was like, uh, I don't know. It was like something else. It was like, I don't know, pervert. Yeah. Obviously, he, he doesn't have an RB and T, but that yeah. was like, He's just you know, like mad dogging the crap out of him. He's he just is. like. He's totally backing up his bro. I love it. What a yeah. good friend he is. Yeah, he's yeah. like, is this why Andy called in sick? <laughs> like, it's like, poor Andy. It's just like, I don't want. Yeah. And of course, this leads to this. This like this interesting reaction from Dick when Hawk walks away and he's he's like, did I do something to offend him? <laughs> Not that it, native people don't have a right to be angry per se. <laughs> it's like Jesus it's Christ. Like, I Jesus. mean you're not wrong. He's not wrong, but also way to make it about you, buddy. <laughs> Truly, I hate this term, but this is virtue signaling. Totally. Like, <laughs> Like, for the, he's like the only person in the world who's ever actually virtue signaled. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, this is like the I, only real incident yes, of it. It does happen once. I hate the term, and I think it's it's just not a great thing. Like, but that's like the vibe I got. It's like, like this is this is what like idiot right wing people on the internet think left wing people exactly. are like. He's like, surely it's not my fault yeah, yeah. <laughs> must just be the like crimes against his people the humanity is rot atrocities <laughs> against the indigenous communities um anyway so we kind of move from there that's that's bad. that's a great it's a great little scene but um a lot happens yeah. there but we'll get then, more about dick in a bit. yeah we're gonna get into <laughs> get more dick uh, <laughs> <laughs> um okay so so now we're going to move on. We're still at the, the station. And Leland is going to be like, hey, I know this Bob dude. Um, and it goes into the story he like, that was alluded to in the last episode where he was like, I, you know, my family went to like a lake house and this guy lived two doors down. 
And uh, I think his last name is Robertson, which is like, uh-oh, like, that kind of fits in. Uh, but I wrote, nobody thinks it's weird, like, that this guy would be probably, like, 90 at this point. <laughs> like, he's like, when I was a child, he's like, Leland, you're, like, 65. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he well, he's probably not that old. Well, <laughs> well, and also, like, Leland, who's been, like, having weird, very public meltdowns in this small town repeatedly over the course of the last couple of episodes of the show, shows up and says this shit. And He's Coop's like, I believe you, witness. 100%. Yep, you're the most reliable guy in town. No problem. We got this now. It's Robert. It does lead, though. I mean, that's that's so true, because Leland is clearly not a credible witness. But right. it also leads to just, like, a really cool visual, um, which is Leland holding the, have you seen this man? Oh, yeah. 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 Which is kind of iconic. Yeah. Um, again, we, we mentioned this last episode, and I'm not really going to get super into it, but there's, there's kind of some implications to this Robertson story that uncomfortable and is i think supposed to make you uncomfortable um he does mention that he's like oh i forgot he used to say do you want to play with fire and he like matches at that. me and and it's really like like he flicks a match and it like lands perfectly in the ashtray, in the ashtray yeah <laughs> really cool looking but like also cool. to echo last episode like there's there's some implication there that isn't great yeah terms of this man like with this small boy that is um which is it's an uncomfortable thing but also yeah Coop's just like yeah we're that's it let's find him Um, I I just am really stressed out by the fact that like (laughs) this guy is like still going around 45 years later (laughs) like (sighs) okay like um so they're they're gonna send Hawk over to check out like you know like records on yeah, they're like wait we have one competent police officer hot can you go <laughs> check out this stuff? Yeah. i'm working on these words yeah. <laughs> i used to be pretty good about driving to neighboring towns as well it's funny i'm sure they didn't they didn't like send like doc hayward to do it or something I know, yeah. <laughs> real estate records or whatever where are these like 500 nameless cops that are in the background every time they're at a crime scene right. and otherwise right. there's only three of them <laughs> Uh, so yes, so that's, that's kind of a pivotal scene. Then we're going to go over to some Argyle sock chat. Good. Um, and I, I phrase it as vulcanized Macintosh chat, but you know, go (laughs) off. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I actually intended to Google what either of those words meant in that context. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mac like I know what an Argyle sock is, but yeah, like, I don't. I literally don't know what a vulcanized Macintosh is. That's I mean, your name for the episode, Matt. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what kind of producer are you? Google vulcanized Macintosh. I, I'm doing I know. That right we now. We're all this doing it. The, we do the Matt chat at the end. <laughs> um, so what's funny here is he is he has this like whole thing about he's like do you think it's weird that i hold my fork this way and i don't turn it but what's really funny is uh yes it is weird that's a weird way to eat but i recently rewatched american beauty <laughs> which is problematic in its own <laughs> it's still my favorite movie of all time i don't care and there's this the scene where like lester throws the plate of asparagus and like because like carolyn's like oh i'll take it like he holds his fork that way too. And I'm like, thing? Well, like, it is the European way, Colleen, as we've learned. Well, you know, <laughs> my mother calls it piley. <laughs> <laughs> they call it piley. 
But oh, like, I do have uh, vulcanized Macintosh. Yay! Uh, what is Mac, it? Mac uh, is also a kind of British slang for uh, a Macintosh coat, a, a oh. raincoat. So a vulcanized Macintosh is a rubberized raincoat. Thank oh. you. Yeah. Oh, so it's like the most insane way of referring to a normal piece yes, of clothing. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, how about pilot under Yeah, that's actually perfect. <laughs> Thank you, that's perfect. Sure. Right, thank you. Yes, <laughs> mysteries. The Twin Peaks mystery is solved. This is the last. <laughs> we get it. We solved the mystery of Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, he just gets some like hardcore fuckboy vibes. <laughs> it's just uh, like... Yeah, that that whole like, you must. It's such a like backdoor brag, right? It's like you must think it's so strange that I eat in this extremely fancy way. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're oh, the weirdo. <laughs> the worst. You're at the diner, <laughs> like. We, we've got a, we wind up with a classic, like, uh, you didn't call me after the one night stand conversation, which leads to some just great, great stuff where he's like, oh, I didn't have your number. And Lucy's like, I work for the sheriff. You should have dialed 911. She also refers to something about their date having been they went to the Pancake Plantation, which is the best fake chain restaurant name ever. <laughs> it's like somehow it's IHOP and Soup Plantation at the same time. That's uh, fucking crazy. Yeah, she drops the bomb that she is late, so. Yeah, he's like, how about, how about I make up the fact that I ghosted you for weeks on end with right, a dress? Yeah, with an employee, employee discount on a dress. Oh, yeah. Not like even the dress. Yeah. <laughs> he was going to get her a 20% At 20%, off. yeah. <laughs> Just, like, truly generous. Astonishing <laughs> generosity. And she's like, how about an eternity dress, dick? <laughs> really good delivery there. Powerful stuff. Also, so the name dick is doing some heavy lifting throughout this series. True. <laughs> and I, I'm glad for it. Uh, here is where we move on to Don, uh, Maddie and James. And this is where like, just you and I is like, is this part of the soundtrack? Is this like playing in the, do they yeah. <laughs> like, why are why? they to us? And he's just like, well, wait. I, I get so angry at James in this scene because basically he, his complaint is that Donna is now standing up for herself and isn't quite as much of like a doormat as she is when we first meet her in season one. She's gotten a little bit of independence. She's gotten a little bit of backbone. And he, he's like, she's like acting all tough and like she thinks she's so cool. And I'm like, why do you have a problem with that? I would like you to examine why you have a problem with that, James. Like, it makes me so angry. Like she acted like she wanted to do it with me through the bar. Yeah, that is. Like, oh yeah, weird, but not for the reason you think. It's she's showing agency and like sex positivity, and he's like, "Ew, right." And, I don't like it. And we know because of his relationship with Laura that like he doesn't react negatively to that because he's prudish about sex. So it's like, it's that he you're wanted just an asshole. Like <laughs> he just wanted Donna to be his like virginal little right. you yeah, know opposite exactly. of Laura which is so unfair to her. Like either way, it's still relating her to Laura in some way. It's not letting her figure out who she is on her own. Yeah, and this is where we get the iconic, sometimes I just want to get on my bike and go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sometimes we all want that for you, James. We don't like you to get on your bike and go. And by sometimes, always. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
they hold hands. And and to be fair, this isn't. There's some tension between them, but they're holding hands in a, a definite, like, comforting way and not a, like, I'm going to bone you way. But, of course, Donna walks in, which is, like, the first of, like, a couple times she walks Impeccable in. Impeccable timing from Donna in this episode. It's like, stop. Um, and, and she's just like, oh, what's going on here? And she starts talking about Harold. Like, I was with another guy. And he rules. <laughs> He's very intelligent and sensitive, unlike anyone else I know. That, that makes me, that bit actually makes me like hurt for Donna a little bit though, because it like really exposes how shitty the people in her life are. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <ugh. laughs> the whole thing is very uncomfortable. I wrote somewhere in here right before the, Sometimes I think I should just get on my bike and go, laughing my fucking ass off Maddie's face. So she must have made a funny facial expression oh, when they were I holding hands. I know what hands, that is. No, it's I, like, I, I assume what you mean there is when he's talking about how Donna wanted to like make out with him. Yeah, yeah, and she makes some kind like, of weird face. A gassed face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but she wanted to face. do it. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Sex? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Honestly, I think that's what I was talking about. Honestly, this like jealousy issue with Donna is the most I like I have issues with Donna as a as a character and this is the most that I like. They're just like yeah, yeah. An episode with Audrey and she's this is what I'm gonna when Emery's all tied up and stuff. This is the most I ever like Donna because she's like, No, forget this. Some other guy is cooler than you. And I'm like, hey, I mean, yes. She's kinda badass in this Everyone yeah. is. But but I just like that she's like, I'm not putting up with this shit. Yeah. And it's just and, like, thank you, Donna. We'll we'll get to it, but I I also she like, says she, she has says a, why don't you hold hands and figure it out oh like <laughs> and I'm like wow it's like Sick my high own, school bird bro it's like my <laughs> own voice coming out and <laughs> she gets, that's definitely something I'd say there's like a real like sort of bitchy moment and I was like finally done yeah. like I get so proud of her there yeah we'll we'll get to it she has some vulnerability later in this episode oh my god too. yeah and i i agree i think at this point in the series is the closest that donna feels relatable she totally. goes through some really weird things as a character and sometimes you're kind of with her and sometimes you're not and it does feel like that's intentional like sometimes you're with her and sometimes you're not that's by design but uh i feel with her on this episode 100 percent. yeah for sure so then we go oh upsetting scene oh yeah um, very upsetting but also raises some bizarre questions for me <laughs> which one is um that? this is where we go to audrey tied up and they're drugging her um and they're like we're gonna blackmail her dad. yeah they're, they're like videoing it so that they can like yeah. send it as blackmail to ben seems to be the implication although it still doesn't make any sense to me when they're videoing it that they also have it set up to closed circuit stream within the room itself. Like in case anybody else in the room can't see what's happening in the room. Like <laughs> what, people what is in that the room about? It's, like, <laughs> it's just like Video Village. They're just like editing, making sure it looks all yeah. the same and right, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I wrote that this scene is unbelievable because we have learned that Blackie has a very bad drug addiction uh, and was like actually like actively detoxing in one episode. So I find it unbelievable because um, of the drugs being wasted <laughs> as a former. Well, she does <laughs> mention here, there is an implication that like 
Ben got me hooked on drugs deliberately yeah. so that yeah, I'd be like, subservient like, to him or something. Yeah, just like your daddy did to me or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and that's true. But also, like, I wouldn't waste drugs on Audrey. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> episode when, like, when they're like, do you want to try some nose candy? And I'm like, nobody. They're like, I got it from my brother. And it's like, no brother is just giving cocaine freely. <laughs> yeah, this is 30 bucks a bag. But here you go, eighth grader. Like, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is my drug chat for the, for the day. Well, uh, well, and it's it's also a little hard to balance where we're supposed to take really seriously this like subplot that's kind of fizzled out for now because of circumstances, but like where Bobby owed Leo a ton of money because of the drugs that uh, they were getting on advance from Leo, him and Laura were. So it's like, oh, what? please take seriously that drugs are a valuable commodity in the way they're being traded underground in this town. But also we're going to waste a bunch of drugs in certain scenes for no reason. It's like the gold coins in the John Wick universe where you're like, how does this currency work? How are you both tipping a bartender and buying a like really fancy car with one gold coin? (laughs) (laughs) What's the exchange exchange rate? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird, and it's just like, ugh, okay, like what? Like, literally, they could have done anything else. They could have just yeah. her up and been like, we have your daughter, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we just got to smash cuts to some shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shoe break. Uh, which, I mean, I always appreciate. Uh, this must be where, because I only wrote shoes, so obviously. Philip Michael Gerard is, is yes. showing off his wares to, to Sheriff Truman in the Sheriff's Department, and he's like, you know, Vulcanized Macintosh uh, wellies. <laughs> wellies. <laughs> I, I, I love, love that he's like, I love that he's like, these shoes are nice if you ever are, in, if the sheriff's department is ever involved in the Twin Peaks parade. It's like, how <laughs> the fuck <laughs> often are these people parading that they need like, special parade shoes? Like footwear. <laughs> it's hard to walk in a parade. Um, I just think it's cool that, like, regardless of like what's happening with Mike spiritually, He's still the hustle of like, I gotta sell these shoes. Yeah, he's like, he's like <laughs> really good at showing it. Yeah. Yeah, he's good at it. I'm like, he's good right. at it. I was like, yeah, I could use some shoes. Like he and set he up his whole fucking display rack in that in that room, <laughs> and he's got like, like Truman's like really checking out the shoes. He's like, all this people are dying, drugs are going all over the place in this town, and Truman's Audrey's like, yeah. I know at the beginning drugs. of the episode, you you could think that maybe Truman's investigating, but no, he's shopping. Yeah, he's <laughs> shopping on company time. Yes. So yes. he's stress um, buying. I get it. So he didn't have Amazon in 1990 <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. You had to get the shoe guy that you accidentally wronged in a, like <laughs> seven episodes ago to try it out here. Um, so he's like really trying to push these shoes and then he sees the like have you seen this man poster and he's like ah gotta go Um, he goes to like kind of like a an episode he's like i need to use the restroom or whatever and and kind of like leaves (laughs) i'm unsure this is not where they show him in the restroom though right no i think i know i I think that's farther down yeah yeah Yeah, my notes on this episode weren't what I have um, next is Shelly and Coop are having an exchange. Um, this is the first of several exchanges towards the back end of this episode that are very uncomfortable to some degree on purpose. But like this scene, Coop like is sort of his gambit seems to be that he knows 
that the relationship between Leo and Shelly is bad. And he's trying to almost like use that as leverage to get her to admit that other shit is going on, which I get that he's trying to get to the bottom of the thing. And he's like, but his tactic is more or less to be like, oh yeah, I bet he tied you up and tried to burn down the building for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's and like, he's like, Ugh. he's gonna wake up eventually. I guess yeah. he's gonna be glad he's not behind bars when he does. Yeah. It's actually the least yeah. I've like ever liked Coop because yeah, yeah. Also, absolutely after, after that, even after she leaves, he says to Harry, he's like, this is clearly like a, an insurance scam. No way Shelly thought of it herself. And I'm like, what makes you think that? Like, mm -hmm. I don't think anything in this series has led us to believe that Shelly's a dummy who could not come up with a pretty basic ass insurance scam on her own. <laughs> it really bugged <laughs> like me. And, and if the- He's Talking about Shelly and Bobby and he thinks that Bobby is <laughs> right, Bobby is right. a fucking mastermind? No, right. thank you. And, and if the implication is, oh, she's like, too sweet and vulnerable of a person to do this kind of thing. Like, even if that's what he's getting at, then why push her so hard with the violence angle? Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. So and that's it's also like, an enormous misreading of her character yeah, that yeah, I feel yeah. like is is below him, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I like agree. This, as far as like coop moments, this one feels kind of out of character it in does, retrospect yeah. with everything. It just, he, he's like kind of missing the point hugely and he's kind of badgering this person who's basically a victim for no reason <laughs> this is, reminds me of uh, way back i had that issue with him where he's like kind of mean to the log lady she's like, yeah he gets some comeuppance for that yeah, though and he but, comes but around like, on it yeah. it seems so out of place because this is a dude who's like like my dreams tell me yeah yeah, yeah 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 but then he was like mean to her and i was like that's kind of like like not cool like shitty and, and for him to be like like really mean to Shelly too, just like it strikes me as kind of like out of place. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of takes you. I wrote. Of I wrote. Is this negging? Because I'm not really a hundred percent. I'm like I'm an old person in the sense that like much like passive voice, I just can't wrap my head around. It. Like I get it. Magenomics a like beautiful woman, but maybe don't try to neg your way into her yeah. favor. Yeah, like he's just mean to her. It sucks. Yeah. So. So yeah, then we go to Mike in the bathroom. Okay, I had it two sentences down. Um, and he's like, uh, like kind of like having a physical episode and trying to inject himself with something that looks very similar to what the IV bag was. Uh, we had the beginning of the episode with Renette uh, and uh, episode, so it's very physical. So it prevents him from being able to do this and he emerges from the bathroom calling out for Bob. But what I thought was actually kind of rad was he flushed the toilet, which I think is very um, polite. Very polite. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He, he, I mean, he did it with his foot in the midst of like a seizure, but still, it's nice. He wants um, to get invited back to sell more shoes, so. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be like, what happened in here? Jesus. <laughs> um, and he's calling out for Bob and he's like, I know you're here or whatever. So they, <laughs> that's happening yeah. in the sheriff's department. So yeah, I and then there's like a moment and you guys can sort of, you know, suss this out for me because I don't remember exactly what the beat is, but he goes from like full on kind of like drug fueled, presumably flip out to walking out very serenely. And what creepy. I can't, like what? What was that shift there? Like, is it just? I mean, I know, but I don't think we can talk about it. Okay, without, so like, that, it's not uh, something that I like. Some stuff. 
Okay. I, yeah, I don't think so. I couldn't yeah. remember because I like looked away for five seconds and I'm like, oh, did I miss something? But okay, got yeah. it. It's just like yeah. more Lynchian shit. Got it. We'll get. We'll tell you at the end or what. Yeah, I think we can talk about that after. Um. So yeah, that's a, it. Is a creepy scene though. Like the it's way it's very unsettling. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really unsettling. So, um, then we just cut to the Great Northern, and as usual, there's like a marching band. Like this yeah, is just just usually weird shit going on. At worst guests, worst clients. What's all. funny is Coop's like kind of emerging from their spot, like with I don't know if it's an elevator or whatever, and he has this look on his face, like, "Are you fucking serious?" <laughs> really mean this moment where it's like, like I feel like even Coop, even Coop's like limit for whimsy has been overreached <laughs> well, by this point in the series. I mean, if we'll, if you'll remember, a few episodes back, he was really upset about how loud the. Norwegian guests Norwegian, were being yes. he needs so, to sleep. Yeah, so like when he sees the marching band folks here, he's like, no. <laughs> and it's it's fun, it's really funny, and it's a funny callback to that. But like, also, yes, I get it because like my level of of ability to deal with whimsy at that point would be like, I, I, I got no more. Five minutes of just quiet. So we roll like, into another uncomfortable coop conversation this oh. time with ben horn oh, <laughs> oh god. god this one made me so nervous like yeah everything about this sucks yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh they talk about you know audrey's still missing and coop's like i got a phone call from her uh and i mean ben is kind of like doesn't shit about audrey so yeah whatever but but like he definitely heavily implies that like what is going on between Audrey and Dale is not cool, <laughs> and it's not <laughs> in a it way. It isn't. It is. But there's really like actually nothing going on too. It's just. But well, here's where. But there I is, feel, it's weird. Here's where I feel like it's shady because if he had been honest and said, you know, I've struck up a friendship with her. She's very smart. She's given me some leads into this case. I can respect that more. But instead, he says we have an acquaintance, which is just dishonest, and that makes it clear he has something to hide. And that's why I don't like it. Right, him. yeah. And also Ben's tack is really weird because even though he said, what's going on between you and my daughter is uncool, which in and of itself is a reasonable thing for a father to say, but the direction he goes with it is like, I know she's trying to seduce you. Yeah, and he's like, like many and, men have been and, caught yeah, in yeah, her web. And, and, and it's oh. like, you're an idiot for falling for it. So basically, like, Ben's like, <laughs> you're an idiot for trying to, like, sleep with my daughter or something. And then Coop basically goes, well, I'm not not trying to sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the vibe is so uncomfortable. They both come off as such huge assholes. And it's like, and, like, there's this, there's this thing that should be the context of this conversation that Coop is like asking about this because he is trying to, he is a policeman who is trying to locate his missing daughter. And it's like, and immediately that goes away. It's like, Ben's like, I don't give a shit about my daughter. And Coop's like, well, good, because it's personal to me anyway. I'm not working. Like, yeah, it's sort is, of like, he lets, he lets Ben bully him out lets, of what yeah. is a like professional yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like investigative conversation into yeah. this other thing. And then he like gets so nervous he just drops that it. He, it's like, like no, totally, Audrey's yeah. still missing. Yeah, like so both of these guys fail hard yes. in this scene. <laughs> also, Ben has like the world's largest cigar in this scene. Yeah, yeah, that's great. He's so <laughs> that's good. Okay, that's good. I love uh, the whole look, always. Um, yeah. I have some like, I mean, I'm sure that this has been discussed before, but like possible 30 year old gossip here but i remember reading like ages ago that laura flynn boyle who was dating kyle mclaughlin was very um jealous of all of the like 
cool, juicy screen time that um, Cheryl Cheryl Fenn, right? Yeah, yeah. Cheryl yeah. Fenn got in season one versus her, you know, Donna. And so I feel like this episode is sort of her comeuppance that maybe she like, like, you know, complained enough to writers and producers because this is such a great Donna episode and Audrey spends the entire thing like, (laughs) so I feel like this is the episode where Donna really shines and it has, it's like they can't both have like a great arc in the same episode because then Audrey just disappears, you know? Right, right. Uh, We have mentioned that before, um, that whole like backstory. Um, yeah, he yeah he says park your jalopy like, was, <laughs> <laughs> like all right, like whatever. Um, so we move. Okay, so now we're gonna go back to Audrey. Yes, who is still like all tied up and fucked up, and we have oh god different- another another gross scene. There's a million of them. It's horrifying. Uh, uh, Jean Renault, Michael so Parks. Like- I love Michael Parks. It's so yeah. good to have him classing up the joint here. Yeah. Oh. And he's <laughs> is, he, is that what he's doing? Yeah, he's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. But, like, I, I agree. His performance is great. But, like, it's uncomfortable in the way that, like, it's supposed to make me uncomfortable. Totally. It, but, but he's, like, the first Renault brother that I don't, like, just, like, puke as soon as I see him. <laughs> he doesn't look like he rolled out of the mountain as a boulder and then, like, sprouted legs or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I could do without, he was the guy in Tusk, right? Uh, I don't really remember Tusk. Oh, good. Did you say that your brain's protecting <laughs> yeah. you? I think my brain's protecting you. Yes, he was in Tusk. Yeah. yeah, I could do without that part of his career. But besides that, he's pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, I have bad Tusk flashbacks. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like shoving, well, you know what, to be fair, he is kind of classing up the joint because he's like shoving chocolates in her face and he's like these are very special imported chocolates or whatever <laughs> at least he's he's much classier than his brother with his hello my name is name tag <laughs> like a very <laughs> very underground secret classy ass casino brothel <laughs> like, he also has like the fancy canadian accent versus like, yeah. and i'm like didn't you guys all grow up in the same house but he's got this like <laughs> elegant french canadian versus like whatever you know jacques renault was doing <laughs> We all grew up in the same house, but some of us wind up with the money. (laughs) Some of us wind up tending bar at uh, at a uh, place of questionable legality. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, he's just, oh, so he's, and he's Blackie's sister, who is the woman that I missed last episode. I was like, oh, I think like the woman who played Blackie died, but it wasn't. And Matt was like, no, it was this woman who played Nancy. I'm like, who the fuck is Nancy? Nancy. This, this and is Nancy? So, yeah. yeah, there she is. Enter Nancy. And uh, she is Blackie's sister. She's like all over Jean, so there's a thing there, but whatever. Uh, R.I.P. She's awesome, but yeah. uh, I'm sorry I didn't remember who you were. Yeah. <laughs> Don't haunt Very me. minor role, but yeah, she, it's she nails minor. it. She has like a she very does. specific like 90s thing going yeah. on. There. Yeah, great <laughs> yeah. She looks and like she was drawn some... by Jim Lee. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. And there's Very definitely nice. some sort of like, I mean, not that it matters because none of it's ever brought up again to my like memory, but there was clearly like a blackie Jean Renault Nancy like love triangle. Love triangle or something. There's like yeah. some yeah. tension and like, you know, that, that seems interesting and like it doesn't matter, but it's just juicy, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, like we'll throw in some light, like yeah. <laughs> familial jealousies, but like not too much that we have to write it into. Like, the... just, like explain it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're basically just talking shop here. I didn't really, I didn't really make many notes about this. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just exposition covering their plan to sort of blackmail their way into some more money from Ben now that they have um, his daughter, his daughter, and th with the idea being that. Uh, Jean being there like provides them more leverage because yeah, he's and, and more acquainted with the situation. He's got more resources. He's like he's he's kind of come in to fix the situation. Yeah, he sort like of sweeps in and takes yeah. charge, and yeah. and um, that other guy's name escapes me, but it's sort of a wimp. Is like cool. You you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. It's you. Yeah, the yeah. the perfume <laughs> counter guy yeah. who is like Emery. clearly very uncomfortable, just still being there, still being He's involved. So in like, I was supposed to be home eight hours ago. Yeah, yeah. I I came here for my usual vacuum cleaner treatment, <laughs> and now this whole thing. Now, this, now I'm stuck <laughs> in this whole thing. I'm part of it now. I'm in it. Um, <laughs> Emery. So yeah, uh, that's that. And then we go to Harry and Coop. And they they want to bring Josie in because of this mill situation. Oh, your favorite plotline. <laughs> yeah, you, we all, I was just gonna say we all know how I feel about the mill. I don't care about the yeah. mill. <laughs> I, I put a note here that says Josie is coming home, and Harry is like, "Okay, I'm gonna fuck it up now." <laughs> he like tells Coop like, "Okay, before anybody talks to her, I need to talk to her." And Coop's like, "Like I don't." I don't really think with all this other stuff going on, that's like a great idea. And Harry's like, no, man, like I'm a, no, I'm like a stand-up guy, right? And Coop's like, yeah, yeah, all right, I guess. Like, I mean, you're a professional, right? So it's probably okay. And Harry's like, it's definitely okay. And you should definitely not talk to her before I talk to her. And Coop's like, yeah, all right. This kind of still seems like a bad yeah. idea, but I guess I'll trust you. He has so many misgivings, clearly, but also yeah. he like really owes Truman by this point because Truman's yeah. gone on, on so many larks based only on Coop's on bullshit. On Coop's bullshit, and he yeah. recognizes that. And but also, Coop's like, all right. Also, like, Coop is, it's typical of Coop to be sort of blinded by the fact that he likes Harry, you know? Yeah. So he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah that's so true. okay, I want to believe that you're going to do the right thing yeah. here. So yeah, we'll, we'll just go with that. You're That's gonna fine. Harry's like, don't make me bring up the rocks and the bottles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, come My on. favorite episode. <laughs> I remember, yeah, you told me that. It's like, don't. Um, I believe this is also where they get interrupted and they learn they're like, hey, uh, has anybody seen this like shoe guy? Like, there was like a shoe guy here earlier, and now there's no shoe guy. So, like, this is where they go into the bathroom and they find the needle on the ground that apparently was not discharged and used. Um, no sign of our friend the shoe salesman, which is sort of interesting to me, given that, like, you know, where's all this shit? Are his shoes just sitting around in there still, or what happened there? <laughs> He raptured. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> um, ow. You all right? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That was like the first thing I thought about because he had such an elaborate setup with like his little wire thing he'd unfolded with the shoes on it. It's like, that's not something that decompresses easily. So if he bailed, like, is that stuff just- I love the idea because hot- Hawk comes back here also and is like, oh, I looked into the house and there's like no like records really or like whatever, this and that. But uh, I like the idea of him. Well, he, he does say that like there is a record under that name, 
but they nothing more. Stop it out. Yeah, I really like Pat. But I do like the idea of him coming back and first going into the conference room and seeing like, all these shoes. Like what? <laughs> I gotta tell them this, but that's weird. Like I just like. With, with Coop around, that is not the weirdest thing it's he's seen weird. randomly. The, I would like to believe room. that Harry was just like, oh, sweet. And he just like grabbed all the shoes. <laughs> <He's like stuffing laughs> only the right shoes because of their samples. Right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, that's my shoe department day talking. Department. Uh, so, yeah. So, so Coop finds this needle and it looks like the same kind of stuff from the beginning of the episode with Renette. And he's like, oh, without chemicals, he points. That makes sense. And it's like, okay, sure. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, so what's he pointing at, Coop? He, he points. I do think sometimes Cooper does this where he's like, here is a clear explanation of what my dream told me. And that proves that my dream is correct. And it's like, all of your dream stuff right. is so vague. Like anything. He's like, he's trying to the secret his way into totally. like a, a if I solution the to this totally. and, and it sort of works for him which is the kind of fucked up thing. i know it does <laughs> he reminds me of like when you watch like like people who are like i i can summon like your dead people and you're like they're like it's a woman it's like yeah <laughs> Oh my god, it was he had, a woman. <laughs> he had hair and it's like okay, like you know, they it's, pick it's up a woman. Or, or it's a man. Okay, I'm getting an older figure or perhaps a younger one. Oh <laughs> it's, my god, it's, all, like, it's all cold reads. You're like 60 years like, old. No. Now is your parents dead? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I think it might be a sister. No. Yeah. Oh, I meant an aunt. Right. <laughs> You're right. It was it was my mom's sister. <laughs> right. Oh, sisters, yes. Okay. She watched Sister Sister once. I uh, just remember, it's like, yeah, it's very much like cutting the puzzle piece mm-hmm. that you fit in. Um, so let's see. Uh, oh, so now uh, from here, we go to <laughs> his favorite storyline. Uh, <laughs> which, which the, the, trying- all, the all important Nadine has super strange plot point. <laughs> she had it anyway, though, in the first place. No, no, I know, but like, like we're getting reminded where, of it all of a sudden. Where it's where going, which again, no spoilers, is one one of my favorite like season two plot See, points. And that was a Halloween costume that I nailed in like 2004. <laughs> You'll have to send a picture because yeah, it was one of my please. favorite costumes of all time. I kept please running into stuff with the eye patch because they had like no peripheral vision. <laughs> please send me a picture of that. But but it. interestingly, because for our viewers or listeners, Meredith and Meredith and Fritz have known each other forever because Meredith's husband is one of Fritz's oldest friends. So yeah, so I met Fritz and like. 2000 which is right right so great for me um but what's funny is this is his least favorite like he thinks this is bullshit and so he wants to he wants to be on the show when nadine like ends up where she does the thing that she does but the thing is this is like actually i looked it up and it's kind of stretched out over it is it goes on for a long time so i'm like it's a hard it's a hard thing to pinpoint like this is where you should be. I, I, there's a certain episode that I have in mind. We can talk about this off mic, but yeah. I think I know what episode we want him on here. And as much as I do love the subplot, I would agree that it goes on too long. Yeah, it's, so it's I, get, I get a lot of joy out of it, but like that's just my I think I'm like, preference. Like, From a narrative standpoint, it could probably stand to be trimmed down a little bit. I think literally I was like, maybe episode 18 is the one, and that's like a lot of episodes away from Yeah, yeah. 
Um, she's actually tied. She's still kind of like in and out of her consciousness or whatever. And she's actually chained to her hospital bed because she has such large amounts of adrenaline running through her that like she keeps breaking, like <laughs> breaking things. Breaking the things. leather restraints were not yes. you know, strong we, enough for her. We've got right. good old Big Ed here visiting her, and he's very like. Is it is it really necessary to restrain her? And the doctors are like, oh yeah, <laughs> like we got it. Is it ever? Did you ever did you ever see King Kong? <laughs> Very similar. Um, and it's kind of funny because like this, like I have a lot of feelings about like the big Ed stuff. And uh, the doc's like, you know, you could sing to her. And he's like, well, darling, he told me to sing to you, but I don't really know what to sing. And I'm like, is this like he's embarrassed to sing? Because like if you put someone on the spot, they're like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. Or is this like he truly doesn't know his own wife who we know he's not like really super in love with and is only with her like out of sort of like obligation. obligation? Yeah. Um, so it's like, does he not know that she, like, does she not have a favorite song that he knows or something? You know, it's, it's pretty Any song, yeah, actually. Was that... I said it's pretty bittersweet, actually, and like yeah, I, it works I love, well. It really does. It's like actually a beautiful little moment in a kind of jam-packed episode, and I love that the song that he goes with is on top of old Smokey. <laughs> no, on top of old Smokey, which is <laughs> oh my and also really on point for Ed, I think, as a character. Totally, and also Everett McGill has a lovely voice, which is not surprising. Oh, I love him. His speaking voice is wonderful, but also his, yeah. his singing voice is really like melodic and pleasant. We are big Ed aficionados. Like we. Big Ed. <laughs> big I love him big, so big much. dick energy. Big is. dick energy is what he has. Um, <laughs> we love him. Uh, so yeah, it is a sweet thing. I, I like everything about even the Ed and, and Nadine stuff. I mean, obviously, Ed and Norma stuff. So more, singing on top of Old Smokey causes uh, Nadine to turn <laughs> into like a Dragon Ball Z character. <laughs> and she just like explodes out of her restraints. And we get the next step in the evolution of Nadine's uh, condition <laughs> here, where she basically is like, I'm going to try out for the cheerleading team. And it's like, what? Well, first, the fuck? she I, I launches what the first straight thing. into a cheer. She oh, yes, that's right. She starts cheering. That's right. And that's right. launches into a cheer. And yeah, and then. And then it's like, I'm trying out for the cheerleading team. And it's like, what? And she's like, you only get to be a high school senior once. And then they kind of have like a moment where like Ed like looks directly at the camera and it's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> You're probably wondering how I wound up in this situation. Hi, I'm Ed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so so that is a thing that's going to go on for 19 more episodes. Yeah, well, we, we have not seen nearly the, the, the iceberg that lay beneath the surface here. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to go over to Dr. Jacoby's room. First oh, of all, Dr. Jacoby's married? Yeah, I, I was going to ask, is this the only time that we see Aolani? Or is it, if, it, if it's not, remember. it's close to the only time yeah. we see her. It's one of the um, only times for yeah. sure. I um, do enjoy yeah. the fact that he is like, well, I'll be in the hospital for a while, so I definitely need my Polynesian decor to come with me. It's <laughs> 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 like palm trees in the room and like the backdrop. Um, but it, it does look like the only episode when I look it up. Yeah. yeah. This makes me uncomfortable because it's like super fetishizing. Like, like we know totally. he loves it. Isn't that the point though? Like we're supposed to think he's gross? Like, yeah, I, I yeah, know, but yeah. 
but like yeah, there's no like, way the show is team Jacoby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I know that, but like to see it like, is uncomfortable. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like other, I, other I think she has them. no spoken lines. Like she's kind of just there. Like, having like, a neck or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, hire an actress to be an object, basically. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, so we have um we have the scene, they're like, we're gonna hypnotize you. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, it's a really great concept because they just walk in. They're like, "We're gonna hypnotize you." Jacoby's like, "Yeah, I do this shit all the time." Yeah, he's like, yeah, I've been it. Who hasn't? He's like, <laughs> he's like, I've written my own hip self hypnosis script. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, he has it with him. Yeah. He just has a printout of his self hypnosis. I carry this around everywhere in case I need to be. Just in case, you never. Yeah. Um, this gem I, that I use to self-hypnotize, like, Elwani knows how to, like, set a thing going on. She's doing, like, a <laughs> bit of a prayer circle kind of thing. Yeah. It's very... They have... I think this is, like, actually where they hypnotize you. Have, like, it's right here, right? Yeah. yeah. And we have, yeah. like, a prolonged, like, what did you see, like, the night that Jacques was killed? And he's like, oh, shit, like, I totally saw killed him. <laughs> That's fucked up, right? <laughs> He's like kind of funny about it, which is like this isn't funny, but, um, but so they're like, okay, that's enough for us, I guess. Like it, it literally is like the the whole scene is just driving on like, did you see Leland kill Jock? Because we know it was Leland who killed him. We see, yeah. That. But Toby um, doesn't answer. He just said, he's like, do you recognize him? And he's like, I know him. I know yeah. him. Yeah. So which I thought was weird because. Like we talked about a couple episodes ago, we know it's him because they show his face. It's not just like the Argento black blood. Right. Yeah. So he's like, I know the guy, which almost like leads lends to like a a, a cliffhanger or something. And it's like you can just say it's Leland. We already know that. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like the cliffhanger hinges on whether we're to understand the cops do or do not know that it's Leland at this point. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. I it's, think it's, it's just more odd. symptomatic of season two's in general lack of like economical storytelling yeah yeah for sure so much more drawn out so they have to make everything last three episodes you know there is this bit of detail that gets dropped here that's been mentioned before at this point and it will keep coming up in association with certain characters that he says it smells like burning motor oil or something yeah. when this murder yeah. is taking place we'll keep hearing that again and again um, and, and then he, and, he said he'd he'd smelled it before too somewhere yes, else I forget yes. where it's where he was uh, found um, it's where he was found collapsed from his heart attack at the fucking gazebo a, yeah yeah what? at the gazebo <laughs> the hottest place in town at the gazebo <laughs> how could you um, forget <laughs> they and talk about it constantly I know it's James's favorite place um, <laughs> and um, so we now know to associate whoever attacked Jacoby with also whoever killed uh, um, Jacques. And if we've paid attention to who killed Jacques, we now know that somebody is doing some bad shit in town. <laughs> uh, um, that goes into Donna. She's leaving the orchid on Laura's grave. First of all, okay. before we get into the scene itself, which is actually a very, very good scene, and uh, pretty believable, uh, and I'll say why in a second, no one goes to the cemetery during the day. No. <laughs> Third time someone's been like, let's just go. It's 10 p.m. Except Why when not? they except when they were low, lowering Laura's <laughs> body into the grave. That's very, the only very time. daytime. 
that came up on my memories on Facebook where the baby was laughing. <laughs> and I was like, that's a weird reaction to the scene. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, um, but yes, uh, she goes there and she has this prolonged talk and she's like, look, I hooked up with James. I'm really sorry. Also, uh, I'm really mad at you because everything was always about you and it was never about me. And you're so stupid about a lot of things. And you're so smart about a lot of things. I've been hanging out with the Meals on Wheels crowd. <laughs> like, um, but I thought this was really believable because there have been mm. several uh, moments in my life where I have sat on the grave of my best friend that died when she was 19 and kind of just like had a prolonged like conversation with how like fucking pissed I am at her or like, you know, other stupid relatable shit or whatever. So I was like, I feel this. This is a very like, my I'm a teenager and my best friend is dead and I need to get some shit off my chest. And it's really compellingly performed by Laura Flynn Boyle. I think this is one of her best moments in the entire series. Definitely. And it just kills me when she says like, as much as I loved you, Laura, most of the time when you were alive, we were always trying to solve your problems and now you're dead and we're still solving your problems. Like when does it get to be about my problems and my stuff? And she's got that like really epic line where she's like, it's like they didn't bury you deep enough. It's so good. Yeah. I think it's like incredibly powerful. It's like season one level, like really, really compelling, really, you know, nuanced and piercing. And I sort of feel like the rest of the season up until the finale just almost doesn't live up to it. Like, yeah, yeah. this is a great. And, and I'll also say that, uh, um, to your point in the previous scene where uh, season two lacks some sort of economical, like linear, smart storytelling. I think this actually is a smart storytelling moment because it serves as a sort of keystone moment for Donna who becomes a very like sort of pliable character as she dips in and out of a lot of other people's uh, plot lines as we see it's going on with the James thing, going on with this Harold thing. She's in a lot of stuff. She's going through a lot of changes, but this moment kind of starts to anchor a lot of where that's coming from and what her motivations might be. Um, it's just a good moment as far as like, if you care about the consistency of the characters, it's actually on the page there. It's so um, true, because she's always been in Laura's shadow. Mm -hmm. And now that Laura's yeah. gone, she has no idea who she is. Right. And her whole like existence right now is hinging on like, it's still centered. Pursuing this mystery yeah. and-, and this Pursuing the mystery of Laura's death, dating Laura's boyfriend, like she's still living in right. the shadow. And, yeah, and like and you know, like even the additional weirdness of when she sees her boyfriend straying away, it's with this girl that looks exactly like Laura. That like yeah. right, which like we can talk about more in the next scene, but I, right, I have right. a, a theory about yeah. that. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. So actually, yes, we do. We we move yeah, on. Smash cut to uh, we've Maddie. got. Maddie. <laughs> Maddie at home and James appears in the doorway in an extremely mom said it's my turn to play the Xbox pose. Like he just <laughs> he's just sort of like <laughs> the song is playing in the background. So yeah. we know it is gonna happen. It's it's a full nightmare. It's like, oh everything I hate about the show is in this one scene. So everything true. that rises must it went from very, very fantastic scene immediately plummets. Oh, it's bad. Um and and he's just so I don't even remember what he's specifically talking about here, but he just definitely tries to mac on him. 
like they're like yeah. that close. It's what a real Eric and Ariel in the boat moment where they're like that close. I, I think he's doing some like, oh, my mom came home and she was fucked up right. again, which right. is like this thing they bust out with James like every time they want him to have a reason to be like we never meet her mom, or something. Right? No. Yeah, I, we never see her. It just occasionally comes up in these conversations about how like. If James needs to have a crisis at that moment, he's going to say, my mom. <laughs> Guys, if you want us to really care, maybe show her once in a while. <laughs> or his musician dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he constantly references these things. It never Yeah, the only relative we see him having is Big Ed, who's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel yeah. sorry for you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they almost kiss. And it's like they kind of do, right? Like, well, I when I watched it last night, I thought that they were just like almost okay, okay, might have planted it. Who knows? You may have blocked it out of your mind since the exactly. my brain is trying to protect out me. Yeah. much like Tusk for me, yeah, yeah, exactly. My brain has when, not when, when they, oh, apart, they do kiss, they do kiss, okay, they do kiss, yeah, they yeah. do kiss, yeah. yeah, um, censored in Colleen's head, right? And, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, don't tell her that, <laughs> don't tell her that, Matt. Um, <laughs> This part kills me though, because Donna again walks in and she's like, what the fuck, right? Yeah, and, and this is, <laughs> just before we proceed forward from this, like, again, it's a really strong whiplash between good storytelling with the Donna at the gravesite. Grave and then there's this bad season two storytelling thing where it's like, Donna just teleports inside of the Palmer house without having opened the door, without Knock. having knocked anything. She's just there like <laughs> she's just suddenly appears in the like really corny like when they separate from the kiss like she's suddenly visible yeah and just to be there like, to just go oh, and then <laughs> run right away <laughs> there's two things that kill me here and <laughs> she runs out she's like well fuck you uh -huh. guys and he goes donna no and then smashes like a vase a lamp and starts walking in it's like dude that's like, this is my house. <laughs> and then he runs outside and yells, why? Yeah. And the answer is, you kissed someone who's not your girlfriend and she exactly. saw you. Yeah. That, that was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. The second thing oh. is, I want to, I want to pop back before addressing the why, which is one of the funniest things in the entire <laughs> series. But there's a small moment with the lamp thing where, like, He's just doing like a teen boy mad acting out thing, right? He just like pushes the lamp, like, like knocks it over. First of all, it doesn't actually break, so it's very funny. It just like flies off the shelf and then continues to be lighting up the room, which doesn't seem like the way that was supposed to go, but it's the way the shot is kept in. And then as he steps over the cord, to exit after Donna, there's like a millisecond of like Leland popping out to like see once the commotion. And it's just very funny where it's like, he just destroys this guy's lamp and then Leland comes out, what lamp? What? And then it just right, yeah. away And as fucked up as Leland is right now, like he's yeah. like, what's with that guy? <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's like James, so is that the guy you want to be? You want to get the guy that right. Leland Palmer like, is like, like, what is going on with Like, him? we're pretty sure that Leland at this point with all the information we've been provided up to this point in the series we're pretty sure that Leland A murdered a guy in, yeah. in, in the hospital B probably was the guy who attacked Dr. Jacoby based on the clues that we just got from the prior scene um, C has been having public meltdowns and shit about his daughter dying and like passing out, singing, dancing, freaking out, crying his hair yeah. turned white overnight and it's like James throws a lamp and he's like 
the hell is wrong with this guy? Like, <laughs> it's just so I, funny. I just love, I love the idea of him going and be like, what the hell? Like, that's, that was my lamp. Like, like <laughs> my lamp. And rules when Jax threw Tom's phone and Tom's like, that's oh yeah. <laughs> it's a very same energy. Uh, but the why, I'm glad we are all on the same page with this why moment. Yeah. Oh God, why so not? Good. You're Such a drama queen. You're He's got making, the big, like, slow pull out, like, why? <laughs> like, why is what you say when, like, uh, nature intervenes, like, when, you know, why is when there's something totally unprecedented or unexpected happens? Why is not what happens when you do something bad and get caught? <laughs> like, it's really easy to answer your question. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so he's, uh, yeah, and, and then it, like, James, maybe the more productive question would be why did I make out with somebody who wasn't my girlfriend <laughs> exactly okay so um, that, that brings me to the point that I wanted to make um, oh yeah yeah at the gravesite but then I realized I should wait I think that Maddie is it's like so obvious that the reason that James is attracted to Maddie is because she's got the sweetness and innocence of season one Donna, Anna. but she looks like Laura and that is yeah. so gross it makes so me gross. furious yeah, 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 it's like, yeah. oh, Laura would have been the perfect girlfriend if only she'd been as, as sweet as Donna. But it's not that Donna is good enough on her own at all. No, it's that she has to look like my my hot yeah. girlfriend, but my hot girlfriend was too hot. You know, it's just, oh, it makes me so angry. It's this like Madonna horror thing that he, you know, really, really yeah. leans into in, a, in an infuriating way. I, I, I fully agree with you on that point. And I don't think this is a spoiler to say, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, they don't lean into that point. Uh, I do think that's supposed to be what's going on with James's character, and I think we are supposed to see that, but instead of using that as a moment to examine James's morality or to like talk about what this means, that this is the kind of woman that he idealizes, we ins James will go on to do a ton of other shit. The show will continue over and over and over again to try to get us to think James is a good character. I know. will never succeed. 25 years will elapse. A third season of this show will be produced. James will appear again. The show will continue to try to convince us repeatedly that James is the character we're supposed to care about. It very mildly succeeds in a certain angle towards the end, but with a very cheap shot character angle that they wind up taking with him and it's like uh, and I'm it's like, so it, glad you said that because you know yeah I, I won't get into well, any specifics all, all that all that stuff we'll talk about in yeah. its due time I won't get into specifics like, at all like, but there like, was this turning point here to like really take something of the darkness of James's character and examine what's the saying about him specifically what does it say about young men in Twin Peaks where we have these and other what? characters that are his peers like Bobby and so forth like and instead it's just like no nah, but like James is cool right like you yeah. love James like, <laughs> it's like no he sucks <laughs> and what the way that Bobby and James and Mike the way they perceive characters like Laura and Donna how that sort of informs the characters that that Laura and Donna are and the decisions that they, they right. make that are considered bad decisions right there's no accountability for, right. for James there, you know, at all. I'm really glad you said that because that's something that yeah, has and, always gotten under my skin. And, and, and it's how you can tell they're just like, we're no women writers at the time. You know? yeah, and I think that like, you see a little bit of that concept explored, not through James, but you see a little bit of that concept explored through both 
some things that happened in season three, as well as some things that happened in Fire Walk With Me, which again, we'll get to like this idea of how men influence the decisions these women are making and like drive them to be victimized by their bullshit. But never is James called out on this behavior, even though he's actively perpetrating it in front of our eyes in a very like in the text kind of way. It's It's so so true. It's so true. I do want to mention just I feel like it's important to mention when this happens, even though there isn't anything that's like telling us it's important or whatever, that that scene ends with like a shot of the stoplight. And I just feel like, much like Chris always mentions when Audrey's theme is playing in scene, I feel like it's important to mm. point that out. Yeah, yeah. It what is. does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons are brilliant. <laughs> uh, it's provocative. So, it gets the people talking. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, um, That scene actually kind of ends with Maddie and Leland having kind of a heart-to-heart, and Maddie's just like, I'm, I loved my cousin. That's the only reason I'm here, like, like I came here to be at a funeral and now I'm like fucking neck deep in drama. I, I do really feel for Maddie in that scene in a way that I haven't before because she's like, everyone treats me like I'm her. They talk to me like I'm her and I'm not her. Like I'm my own yeah. person. And it's nice that the show kind of takes a moment to recognize that. Yeah. And, uh, I will say though, like whatever we do think at this point about Leland's motivations and so forth, we know that Leland at this point is a murderer of some variety and like not handling his shit well. So for him to be the guy here going, oh, I'll comfort you. Like this is going to be okay. Like some red lights should be going off in your brain, not just yeah. on the show. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Like in in real life, I'd be like, that's not great. It's not good. It's not good. Um, but this is they are interrupted by Coop and Harry who who come in, again magically in. appear into this house. Everyone please they take a moment for Harry to say the door was open. It's like yeah. James left the door open, that asshole. <laughs> hey, trying to heat the whole neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, and they're like, "Hey, sorry to break up this weird familial moment, but uh, you're under the re- uh, you're under arrest for the murder of Jack." Uh, and he's like, "Okay, so like, you know, he's not gonna put up much of a fight here." And he continues to not, to not put up much of a fight in with with regards to this, so that's fine. Um, now, so it, that's just like whatever. Okay, so we're going to be moving into some. And stuff going up forward. It, it also kind of answers the question that you guys were talking about earlier, where it's like, is this supposed to be a cliffhanger? Well, then, like five minutes later, they're like, yeah, he did tell us it was. Which this show does often. Yeah, like, yeah. What? And then it's like three minutes later, it's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely that like soap opera kind of body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a commercial break in there. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Donna goes to Harold's for comfort. Yeah, this is a this is a great moment. She knocks on the door and is like, he opens up and he's like Donna or whatever. And she's like, I think she says, I didn't know where else where to, to go. go. Yeah, and it's like so you went to the guy who like you met one time because you delivered his meals on wheels and he exactly. did a bunch of creepy shit. What an <laughs> emotional burden. I mean, if I did not hate Harold, I would feel very sorry for him here because he's just like 
you know, doing his own thing. He doesn't like going outside. <laughs> and then he signs up for Meals on Wheels because of that. And then the Meals on Wheels lady is like, can I come by and lo- unload my problems onto you? <laughs> it's also like 11 p.m. <laughs> Not also, cool. Also, it's, it's important to note that up to this point in the series, everything we know about Donna's parents and family situation is that they're explicitly very supportive and caring she has for her. an They're amazing set of parents. Doc Haywood yeah. is one of the few characters who's presented as sort of just like unproblematically just a good guy He's who's not complicated, out. Uh, just like, kind. Her, her mom is disabled but is still making dinner for them and shit. Like her because sister's even- her sister's cover, cover for her on her Scooby-Doo I'm escaping the house to investigate shit bullshit. You can like, tell me that she can't go to her poet sister and be like <laughs> emotional situation. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> like it's so it's it, it feels like a really made up thing like obviously part of what she's struggling with is that she is like has this i have this dark part of my life now and this like part of my life that's untarnished and like that's sure. there but it's not well communicated in this moment she's just sort of like i had no choice but to go to meals on wheels guy's house yeah and like even if even if the scene had earned or the episode had earned the notion that she didn't feel comfortable bringing her like new darkness to her wholesome family. Still not cool to go to Harold right no, now. It's no, so it early. It's it's too early. Yes. Uh, he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. He says the thing, he's like, remember what Laura always used to say? Donna Madonna, there's always Donna Madonna. <laughs> and she's like, I'm like, that's a dumb thing. If my best friend said that to me, I would seriously. But, but seriously, your best friend didn't say that to you, but they said it to somebody else. About you. Like, and then they knew that they were saying it about you. He'd be like, what? Also, when I, when I said the thing earlier about Madonna and horror, I didn't even think about how later yeah. in the episode, Donna's literally referred to as Donna. Madonna, Madonna. Donna yeah. In case you didn't get Five it, do you get it? Right. Do you get it? I get it, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> a 14 second eye shot <laughs> uh, anyway uh, he's like I will comfort you let's make some tea or like, and then she's like well I guess I'll take this opportunity to snoop around his house some more <laughs> and what did she find wait I forgot what she found in the bookcase earlier in the episode what was that versus uh, she actually I don't think even ended up but, like, she doesn't end up looking at it. Okay. Back in. Okay, so okay. She, she just starts messing with shit. And okay. now she's like, I'm going to finish the job. I'm going to keep snooping. <laughs> yeah. Like, this could be something. <laughs> and, it turns out this time, it is it something. Was. <laughs> uh, and she pulls out Laura's diary. The diary of Laura Palmer. Into the credits. Yeah. And then Produced we go right by the David credits. Lynch and Mark Frost. That's um I wrote, oh no <laughs> that's how it goes. Uh, and that is the end of the episode so uh, this episode feels like when you're watching it it goes by very quickly it does oh. it's mm. so full of stuff there's a lot of stuff happening in this one yeah and I was like all right I'm and like, very little of it is boring unlike a lot of season two like or even season one <laughs> yeah. there's no mill you know what I mean like Harold's a little bit boring but he's new enough that. Like, yeah, I and it's just, unsettling enough that even though he's a little boring, it's like, well, something's so, going to happen here. Exactly. Like, yeah. like right. season two is obviously not anyone's favorite, but I think especially in the beginning, it has a lot of charm. And I think this episode is, I think it sort of in some ways benefits from it being the first episode without David Lynch, because 
it feels like there's, there's like a little bit of a, a fresh life to it. Feels like, like a that. TV show. <laughs> this episode <laughs> does in a way that a lot of the other episodes, even when they've been good, have not particularly felt like a TV that, show. That is totally true. Although I, I, I will note that they absolutely threw Invitation to Love in the garbage the second that David Lynch stepped away from it. I <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're not doing that shit. <laughs> Sucks. That's the best part. Yeah. I, agreed. I, I really miss Invitation to Love. Now it's just like Flesh World, and that's everyone's entertainment only. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is the end of the episode. So, Matt, do you have anything for us in regards to the producer's corner? Uh, actually, I'd like to cede my time uh, to Meredith because we uh, we kind of just jumped into this discussing what happens in the episode. But what is your relationship with Twin Peaks? How did you uh, come around to it? Oh, Matt, that's so nice of you. Thank you. So before you guys jumped on, uh, I was telling them that you know I watched it a little bit as a kid. My, my parents would watch it, and I would kind of wander in and wander out. And it, it hooked me enough to always have a sort of like I was intrigued. You know, I, I understood and knew nothing. Uh, and then when I got to college, uh, I started dating Matt, who, who was friends with Fred's, and he had the, the box set on um, VHS. And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to watch this. And so I started watching it on my own. And I got so into it. I was like crazy, crazy riveted. And I, I was staying offline because I was like, this is a, at the time, like 20-year-old show. I don't want to spoil myself. And I will not spoil anyone here. I will not do to anyone else what happened to me. But I was like, not going to read anything online. I was being so careful. And then I was reading, but I realized when I was talking to Matt, I was like, as I was having this moment, I was like, oh, this is so funny. I was reading a copy of Fangoria magazine where I now work <laughs> about a totally unrelated topic. It was about a movie that was out that year starring an actor who is also on Twin Peaks. Had nothing to do with Twin Peaks. And I'm reading this old issue and it, it spoiled the, I was like four episodes from finding who the killer was and it spoiled the killer. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> why? <laughs> I had a real James Hurley moment. You lamp down I, and you ran I, out. I popped the lamp, <laughs> ran out into the street. <laughs> but it's so funny because I've always thought about that as like my Twin Peaks sort of origin story. And I did not think about it until I was talking to Matt earlier, you know, in the hour. And I was like, oh shit, it was my magazine. <laughs> so, <laughs> that makes it way better. Like, I guess I can't be mad anymore because it now employs me. But <laughs> like, I quit. No, it, it, it actually kind of has that Twin Peaks universe thing where there's only one magazine that exists. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, of course I saw it in the flesh world. Yeah. <laughs> totally the flesh world of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so funny uh i was gonna uh, mention we usually talk about the episode titles because they um are bad yeah right. they're bad and as we learned much earlier in the process like they didn't have titles originally as matt discovered like they had to create titles for the german release of the dvd mm -hmm. or something so they've all been just like, like translated like they were made up by the production company and then reverse translated back into english so this one is the man behind glass which i guess just means harold because he looks from out of the window yeah i don't know is that, I is that what we're supposed to get from that one i would like, really rather not credit this entire episode to harold but I <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well no because some what we found is that sometimes they like have like just a stupid name like coma because it's the episode that Ramat <laughs> wakes up from the coma yeah. or sometimes they refer to like a hyper specific thing and it's like why <laughs> they're bad <laughs> they're just bad <laughs> i was wondering that too last night i was like who was the man behind the glass 
Yeah, I, I assume it just refers to Harold, but I, yeah, I, don't yeah. know. I can't think who else it, it could mean. I mean, maybe it's Dick Tremaine on the other side of the glass at the sheriff's Ooh. department talking to Lucy. <laughs> I, like I, I don't better. think that. <laughs> I, like I like it that better. better but <laughs> yeah, I like that better too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So okay, he, is, he is like more likely to capture a German uh, uh, producer's <laughs> attention. <laughs> that's, that's They're like, true. oh, did, did he say? Is he? Piling with his fork. What more does he know about vulcanized Macintoshes? <laughs> How can we use this? All right. Well, I guess if we don't have anything else, that's the episode. So I want to thank Meredith again for joining us. I've been trying to get her to join us for a while. So I'm really, really excited that you were here today. Thank you guys. And, and, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, to sign off, I'm Colleen Cunningham. I'm Chris Pruitt. Macro. Here in the border. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.